Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, how Hulu has just advanced to the next level for soccer fans, our thoughts about the state of the U.S. national team, the enticing world of soccer stickers, trading cards, and NFT, plus we have letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gather, joined alongside my co-host Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, it's a slow news week this week. We've got international football, of course, uh, from last week and this week and coming up this weekend. Uh, club soccer from around the world returns. Um, I've watched some international matches, as you have done. Um, before we get into talking about the U.S. national team, were there any any other games or any, any uh, anything you watched that stood out that wasn't uh, the U.S. national team? Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the North Macedonia-Germany match. I uh, have to admit, I watched that match having a hunch because I, there was this talk that Germany, all their problems were solved by beating an Iceland team that is fading as quickly as they rose in the international football uh, arena. And North Macedonia qualified for the Euros. Uh, they have Goran Pandev, who, it, it, being a fan of Serie A, I can tell you, I think he's been one of the best Serie A players of the last 15 years, uh, if you take just the, that entire period of time. So I was actually kind of intrigued by that match and turned the match on. And uh, it, was a, it was a really good match. And North Macedonia won. They not only won 2-1 uh, in, in Duisburg, in Germany, but I think they were the better team. In fact, they were unlucky that they didn't have a penalty called in their favor. And you could argue, yeah, it was a penalty, uh, I think, letter of the law, that Germany got and converted. Gundogan got the penalty. But that Leroy Sané uh, made a meal out of it, right? And very easily, another official might have just given him a yellow for booking and, and gotten on, uh, well, yellow for diving, a booking for diving and gotten on with it. So that was good. Uh, I, um, it, it, I I watched a little bit of actually, can't take, actually yeah. let me chime in on, on that one just before you move on to the other, the other games. But the, the one thing I think about uh, Germany is that I really wonder, and, and knowing the Germans being very stubborn in many ways and uh, they won't do it, but to me, uh, Yogi Love, I mean, should get the sack. I mean, before the Euros even begin, because you, mean, you go you go into the Euros uh, with him in charge. 
I don't think the players are going to be uh, playing for him or fighting for him. I mean, you really need a manager to come in to say, okay, you know what, uh, a temporary manager for the World Cup, uh, for, the, for the Euros, let's go ahead and, and let's aim, aim for, the, for the, the Euro 2020 uh, title, which, which is unlikely. But I think right now they're on a road to, I mean, a horror road, really. Yeah, I'd bring Rajanik in for the Euros. That's the guy I do. I, yeah, I Ralph. Bring in. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question if he's willing to do it. I do it. I, I agree with you. I think that there was a feeling that the players had quit on Lowe, and they've heard it all. And I think Lowe began to lose the team when he uh, when he when he ran Hummels, Boateng, and Mueller off in late 2019. However, they had some. Uh, or, or sorry, that was 2018. They had some decent results, like they had a 3-2 comeback against the Netherlands in Euro qualifying, where they uh, they looked pretty good in that match. They've had some sporadic good moments, but uh, I think the players had quit. The theory, Chris, has been. Uh, checking out the German media a little bit in the last couple of weeks is that now the players feel liberated because Lowe is not going to be around past the Euros. So they're going to start playing with some freedom. And then after they crushed Iceland and Iceland team, as I said, that's descending as quickly as they rose uh, into international prominence. Uh, they, there was a uh, uh, jubilation and said, ah, Germany is back. Uh, even I was uh, fell into the trap saying, well, you know, maybe Tony Kroos, maybe they don't need him. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Now, in hindsight, I mean, I watched this North Macedonia match. And again, I'm telling you, two, the 2-1 two, scoreline, uh, I think North Macedonia are a good value for that. And we're uh, maybe unfortunate it wasn't 2-0, uh, t- truthfully, or 3-0. I mean, they wouldn't have needed that late goal if they, if they, if they hadn't been for the circumstances of one penalty being called one way and not being called the other way. But, uh, yeah, uh, and they're going to be in the Euros this summer. So maybe they're, they're a side to watch. Alioski. Uh, the Leeds United yeah. defender that I think we've all uh, grown to love this season under Bielsa. He, he had a phenomenal match uh, for North Macedonia. So he might be a player to keep an eye on uh, in the Euros if you're looking for kind of a sleeper player. Uh, one other match I, I watched real quickly, Chris, before we get to, to, to the U.S. national team situation, which was uh, the Portugal-Luxembourg match. Luxembourg uh, has more professional players than they've had in the past. And, yes, they lost this match. Uh, they also beat Republic of Ireland earlier in the week. But they look like, among the minnows, they look like the micronation minnows, uh, the first a uh, team that maybe ascends to another level in, in, in Europe and can be a, a nuisance in qualifying because they've got a few high-level professional players now, which they've never had before. I'm not predicting an Iceland-like rise for them or a Finland-like rise, but they they could be a nuisance. I don't think they'll qualify for a major tournament, but they're, they're a nation to watch. And I, and I actually like the football they played, especially in the first 60 minutes of that match. All right, so let's turn to the U.S. national team. And it started last week uh, with a win against Jamaica. And, and afterwards, uh, the feeling was, hey, this, this U.S. team could go all the way. Even the BBC, which, uh, which usually is pretty unbiased or usually pretty uh, straight-laced, had an article on their website, on, on the global website, saying these kids, these kids could win the, the, the World Cup in 2026. Of course, anything is possible. But the, from the highs of that win against Jamaica, and then Sunday, there was the, the, the two matches. The first match, of course, was the uh, Olympic qualifier. And this was on, um, I think, Fox of FS1 uh, against Honduras. In a performance, really, that Honduras, to me, dictated this match. Uh, they were the better team uh, by far. Uh, 
and deserve to win this game. I mean, we, we were all, all hoping, of course, for the U.S. to win this one. And then later that day, we watched... Um, well, actually, it was the other way around. It was, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Northern Ireland game, we watched that one uh, on Big Fox on Sunday. And that was the friendly. And that, to me, was a, a good example of that same U.S. national team, but coming up against a team that plays a different style of football. Uh, very organized, uh, breaking on the counter. But when they broke on the counter, it was a very direct style of play. Uh, a very different style of play than uh, Jamaica would. You mean kind of a CONCACAF nation. We're used to playing against uh, teams like that, even though Jamaica is much improved in terms of some of the new signings. And then Sunday night with the game on FS1 and um, the Olympics and, and a game that the U.S. Uh, youth squad had to win against Honduras to qualify for the Summer Olympics. And as all of us know, uh, Honduras won that match uh, 2-1 and actually again the scoreline flattered to deceive I thought it could have easily been 3-1 I mean Honduras looked really really good in this game um, and a US team that lacked imagination so so Kartik what about you we went from the the, the highs of Jamaica uh, to the I mean medium I guess neutral of, of the performance against Northern Ireland even though the US won to the lows of the Olympics. What, what's your take on, on all of this? Uh, were they highs against Jamaica? I know you had uh, uh, your player, Jamal Lowe, that, that scored the goal for Jamaica uh, in his first cap. But uh, let me give you some of the Jamaican players who were not uh, at this match. Uh, they might be names that, that, that most of our listeners have heard of. Uh, Bobby Cordova Reed obviously playing very well for Fulham or playing about as well as any attacking player for Fulham, the Premier League this season. Leon Bailey, I, I think everybody knows who he is, right? Yep, yep. Uh, Kmar Lawrence, uh, who's been uh, uh, arguably their best player or, 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 over the last 10 years. Alvis Powell, among others. I could go, go on and on. That was a Jamaica, that was very much an experimental Jamaican team. A lot of guys, uh, uh, English-based players getting their first cap, Casey Palmer, uh, uh mentioned Jamal Lowe and obviously Andre Gray, uh, who's a player that most Premier League fans are familiar with. Uh, Michael Hector did play. Uh, he's one player that uh, I think everybody's familiar with from uh, from English football that did play. Uh, and Marioppa played, but Marioppa's up in years now. So I, I didn't put much into that match. I don't put much into the U.S.'s win over Northern Ireland either against the Northern Irish team that was clearly looking uh, to ahead to their qualifier uh, against Bulgaria. So I, 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 I think that it was good that the U.S. won these games, but the U.S. was going in all guns a-blazing with their best players uh, against, a, uh, uh, against a team that was uh, against teams that were rotating their squads. Uh, or in the case, I mean, Northern Ireland was rotating their squads. In the case of Jamaica, they, they hadn't called in many of their better players. So uh, that, to me... Uh, it was good. I mean, you, you can only beat who's in front of you. Uh, I said I, I, I said that uh, on Twitter. But Wales, uh, they got a beat. Uh, they got a team with like three regulars, right? You would know Wales better than me, uh, Chris. Mm-hmm. But I count like three or four regulars for Wales in that team, and the rest were were were, were rotated players. And then uh, same thing with Jamaica, and same thing with uh, um, with Northern Ireland. So those are the three tough tough opponents they've faced recently. The other opponents, the ones that they've beaten seven nil or ten nil or thirteen nil, how whatever their score lines have been. Have been uh, trash matches that I've not been interested in. So, um, yeah, things look good. And, and obviously, uh, Yunus Musa committing to the U.S. is a big, big deal. Uh, he is a player uh, 
he is a player Gareth Southgate was tracking. He is a player Gareth Southgate was trying to convince to play for England. So it's not like this is – it's not like some of the German-American um, players that people say, oh, well, that guy never would have played for Germany. So it's not a huge deal that the U.S. got the, uh, play, whichever player it is. In the case of Yunus Musa, I can tell you for, for sure – uh, he was going to be on this England U21 team that has uh, uh, crashed and burned in, in the U21 Euro uh, UEFA Euros uh, thus far. Uh, he would have been on that team for sure, and he possibly would have been in the senior national team picture by the time uh, World Cup uh, 2022 rolls around. Maybe not for World Cup qualifying. So he's getting an early jump on being in, in competitive matches because I'm sure the U- he's going to be in every U.S. squad. But he is a guy that England was tracking, so that's a win for the U.S. Obviously, Sergio Dest, I think, probably would walk into the Dutch team right now. So that's a win for the U.S. And then I would also say uh, that there are uh, other dual nationals that I know Burhalter is tracking and trying to convince to play for the U.S., European-based dual nationals. So that is all very positive for the U.S. But now we have to talk about Olympic qualifying and the disaster there. Four matches, Chris, all on FS1, all on 2DNA. So we got kind of consistent coverage. And I think the warning signs were very clearly there in the first match for the U.S. against Costa Rica, a match that they were outplayed in, group stage match, and and uh, and uh, then uh, eventually uh, won it, right? Eventually won it, right? But they were they were outplayed, right? So I, I think there was a lot of spin meistering right away, and I and, well, I, and I will say this: the, 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 I, I tried to well, the spin meister. The spin on that, just 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 interject for a second. The spin was that is that uh, we got the win. That's all that mattered. Sometimes you mean sometimes the it's not the performance. It's the it's the result, and, and the US did yeah. get get that result in that match. That the spin that was the spin. Yeah. So uh, the, the the I I would be much happier if Fox uh, just uh, let John Strong and, and Stuart Holden host the studio also because it might be tolerable and I might be uh, people like me might be able to watch Fox in that circumstance. But what what happened after that first game was there was this spin from from Stone and Lawless and then the start of the Dominican Republic game I try I tried with them. I think I may have mentioned this on the show last week. I tried watching Fox and just I couldn't right. And I know the the match call of Strong and Holden. Would be okay. Mm-hmm. I, that I know. I mean, it, that's not the problem, right? I don't. I. I, I actually like Stu Holden a lot, and I. I, uh, I rate strong. You know, maybe he's not my favorite, but I, I don't. I don't dislike him. But the 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 theme, the patronizing theme, and kind of just the company oriented theme from Fox was really difficult to take. Uh, but then I watched two DNA for the Mexico U.S. game, and they were just as bad for Mexico. And Mexico, of course, is missing a ton of players. I mean, all the teams were. Um, but I think the bottom line is this, Chris. The U.S. Ha- has, for years, put a pro- premium on doing well at the youth level. And we are now consistently seeing the U.S. fail at the under-23 level to qualify for the Olympics. There are all these different rationalizations out there from, from U.S. soccer fans and from MLS fans. But the bottom line is this. The U.S. has once again failed. They've once again had 
one match to qualify for a tournament and lost that match to a CONCACAF opponent. Fourth time that's happened in the last six, five and a half years. Uh, and, and by the way, the last four tournaments they've had to qualify for at the men's level, uh, uh, they have not qualified for, which are the, uh, the two Olympic tournaments, the Confederations Cup and the World Cup, qual- uh, World Cup in 2018, and have lo- fallen at the final hurdle each time. Uh, they have uh, the Gold Cup the U.S. doesn't have to qualify for, by the way, and it's a CONCACAF tournament. So uh, outside of the U-20s where they qualify through CONCACAF, they have they, the last four kind of senior major tournaments they have failed to qualify for. And the thing that is most, uh, mo- most glaring about all of this, Chris, is that this time around, and then maybe I'm deluding myself, this time around it seems like the conversations and the anger is reaching, at least in some quarters, uh, a, a more sustained level than they have in the past when there have been these various excuses given and people have bought the excuses. It seems uh, this may have been one time too many where the U.S. did not qualify for a major tournament. And the last thing before we go into the, the broader discussion, I think the opportunity cost is enormous because for me, the value, I know for a lot of people, the value in the Olympic men's tournament has been around development and getting these guys into a major tournament situation. I completely agree with that. I think it's a huge lost opportunity in terms of developing players. But from our perspective, what we cover at World Soccer Talk, Chris, it's an even bigger missed opportunity from growing for growing the media footprint and the base for viewing soccer in this country. Because mm-hmm. if you have the U.S. men in the Olympic Games, which is the most watched event uh, on United States television, uh, the Olympics are far more popular in the U.S. than they are in other places. World Cup is the most popular event in most of the world, right? But in the U.S., it's, it's the Summer Olympics. Uh, the U.S. men missing the Summer Olympics again at a time when soccer seemed to have hit a tipping point where we're no longer a completely niche sport – uh, is devastating, in my opinion. And, and it's, just, well, uh, it, to me, these people who are so concerned about the commercialization of the sport and, and, and say, well, there are commercial considerations why we can't, MLS can't release players for this tournament. Well, I think commercially it would be better for MLS if the U.S. were in the Olympics than not in the Olympics. And who cares what goes on in, in MLS those two weeks during the Summer Olympics? I think they can spare the players, quite frankly. I can guarantee you that uh, both you and I, and, and probably m- many of you, the listeners, will uh, have a conversation this summer and it might be with somebody that's probably not a soccer fan or maybe a mainstream sports fan or maybe it's a family member and he or she will say to you like okay you're getting ready to watch the olympics and watching the soccer games with the men and you see honduras you see all these these teams from around the world and the question will be asked where's the u.s and the answer is, well, the U.S. didn't qualify. And, and, and that sends a message to mainstream sports fans in this country. Wow, we're, we aren't even good enough to qualify for the, for the actual Olympics. Every four years, we get the same question with the World Cup as far as, well, can, it, can the U.S. win it? How far can they get? And the hopes and aspirations of this country are huge. We always expect the U.S. to be leaders in everything that we do. Um, the reality, I mean, missing out on the on the um, the 2018 World Cup was devastating. Based on how this team is performing now, yes, there are stars. There's some young players getting vast experience at some of the top clubs in the world, uh, but we're still lacking 
really a playing style. We're still lacking a, a creative number 10 player, but we're lacking experience. And there's no guarantee that we will qualify for the 2022 World Cup. And imagine if that would happen, if the US didn't qualify for the 2022 World Cup and we missed out on 2018 and 2022. That'll be absolutely devastating, even more devastating than not qualifying for the 2018 World Cup. That, having said all of that, too, the other thing about this is that this is a huge blow to Fox on Sunday. So Fox's product, in quotation marks, uh, from soccer is the U.S. national team, both on the men's side and the women's side. And, of course, MLS is a key co- component of that, too. But going up against Northern Ireland, having your full-strength squad, playing against a team that's effectively a, a B team from Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland is not a uh, European heavyweight in soccer by any means. And the performance, even though the U.S. won this game, was underwhelming. And, and throughout this game, I mean, John Strong, who I like a lot as a commentator, he's not, not the best but just hitting home with the, I mean, over and over and over again, this is going to be the U.S.'s first win against a European team in six years. And saying that over and over and again during the broadcast, and that was the, the main message that came from this Fox's coverage of this game, um, with a, a so-so performance. I was not impressed by the performance by any means. And then later that day, going into the Olympic qualifier match against Honduras, Uh, A bigger match with bigger implications. And even if uh, the U.S. had won this game and had gone to the Olympics, I mean, NBC would have the coverage. Fox wouldn't. But Fox creating this product called the U.S. national team and really boosting it and rah-rah propaganda, just really, really just uh, making everyone feel good about how great this team is and how far they can go. And having really that killer blow of not making the Olympics, that really hurts them. Um, probably more so from from a sponsorship point of view in terms of advertisers and uh, the morale drops. I mean, big time when the U.S. uh, bombs out of Olympic qualifying, that may hurt or it's not going to help at any means. Um, Sponsorship and advertising coming up to the 2022 World Cup coming soon. But we said it when the U.S. crashed out against uh, TNT and didn't make the 2018 World Cup and we talked about the U.S. uh, soccer U.S. men's national te- team, the darkest day in the history of uh, of this country when it comes to soccer. Uh, if they didn't qualify the 2022 World Cup, that would be even worse. Um, so, Kartik, I, I hope this team gets better. I hope they get uh, more experience. It's good to play teams like Northern Ireland and then hopefully ramp up and play some other games. The challenge that they're going to have is that uh, the European teams are going to be busy with the Euros this summer. Uh, the U.S. will play in the Gold Cup, of course, this summer against pretty much inferior competition. And yes, there'll be some good teams and some good players that play in MLS for the different uh, CONCACAF nations, but it's not going to be a really, really good test. And, and then you're into World Cup qualifying, and then we're keeping our fingers uh, crossed, hoping that uh, hoping hoping we can qualify, right? Hope, hoping we can get better. So, so are you optimistic or, or pessimistic about the future for this U.S. national team, Kartik? 
I'm hedging right now. I, first off, the Gold Cup is not a test. Okay, but the U.S. always plays games on U.S. soil. And I know there are all these fans who say, oh, but Mexico has all the fans and Honduras has all the fans. Let me tell you something. I've worked in the sport. When you are at home, you are at home. Okay, you're, 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 you're in American hotels. You're in American cities. You're in American dressing rooms. You're in American stadiums. You're getting American amenities in terms of your meals and, 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 and food and water. Okay, uh, it's not like traveling to Mexico or Honduras or Costa Rica. Okay, it's not. Or Trinidad and Tobago, since the U.S. obviously has had uh, difficulty there also of late. So I, I'm not. I, I, I hope the U.S. does well in the World Cup. I don't, I'm not putting much stock into it. World Cup qualifying is coming up. Uh, Costa Rica is faded. Uh, Honduras is a nice young generation of players, but I'm not quite sure they're ready yet. Uh, we've talked about Jamaica. Jamaica has a lot of good uh, English-based players. I don't know if they'll mesh cohesively as a squad, but you know they, they, they could be a uh, nuisance. I'm assuming Canada is going to get through this sub-qualifying group and they'll be in the hex. Canada has, in Jonathan David, who's been... Uh, uh, leading the line for, for Lille, who are in contention to win the, the French League, and Alfonso Davies, who I think we all know is one of the best left-sided players in the world right now, an opportunity maybe to knock off the U.S. So I'm cautiously optimistic because of how weak CONCACAF is beyond Mexico. Uh, Costa Rica is not at the same level they, they've been at. Honduras is re, is rebooting. I don't know if they reboot quickly enough. Uh, Jamaica, uh, they, they have some organizational issues too, but... Um, Look, I think the U.S.'s uh, problems are, are structural and organizational. Okay, the U.S. has the players, right? I mean, if you go right down the list, when you talk about John Brooks, you're talking about one of the top five center backs in the Bundesliga, in arguably the best league in the world. You're talking about Weston McKinney, who is starting for Juventus, a club uh, that has won however many consecutive Serie A titles and is contending for another Serie A title. And, you're, and you've got Tyler Adams, who's a pretty consistent starter when he's, when he's fit. It changes positions a lot, depending on Ulian Nagelsmann's preferences for that day, but uh, a fairly nail-on starter for the team that's sitting second in the Bundesliga. So you got three, I think, elite players there, and then you've got in, in Pulisic, a guy who could be elite, who, who plays, you know, his hit or miss with Chelsea, but is, but is pretty good. Musa, a young player who has not been playing well for Valencia recently, but no, no one's been playing well for Valencia, but he could be really good. Serginio Dest, uh, who I think is also in that category with Pulisic, Pulisic right behind the top three, um, playing consistently well for Barcelona when they're playing this year. I mean, obviously he had uh, two bad Champions League matches, but he has been very good in La Liga of late, uh, Dest. And then I I think you've got a number of other guys. Timmy Weah has been playing uh, fairly well recently for Lille. So I like the collection of players, Chris, but when you have organizational chaos, which is what U.S. soccer is, when you have a dysfunctional federation, which is the case in a lot of developing countries where you sometimes look at the squad for some African country or for, for some Central American country and say, oh, why aren't they much better? I, I mean, I used to say it about Croatia for years, and Croatia had all this infighting in their federation, even to the point where the two factions faced off at the Euros a couple of years ago. Do you remember that? In 2016? Yep. And uh, it ended up being a big, big scene in the stadium. Once the Croatian federation got their act together, uh, they, they got to the finals of the World Cup. Um, the U.S. And I hate to say this, uh, I, I think 
Sunil Gulati was, uh, I, I wanted him out as U.S. soccer president. Uh, he was the epitome of the, uh, of the status quo. But sometimes the devil you know is <laughs> the devil you don't know. I think there's been all kind. there's been a leadership vacuum since Gulati stepped down. Cordero was uh, uh, inept in the job. And uh, Cindy Parlo-Cohn, we, we, we all respect her playing career, but she doesn't have the leadership gravitas Gulati did. So all of this affects the players and and uh, the, the fact that the, that the Federation won't go to bat and won't tell Atlanta United, you know what? Release uh, George Bello. Release Miles Robinson. These guys, we need these guys for Olympic qualifying. And when he, that, that sends a message. When the Federation's not willing to challenge an MLS team, how do you think the rest of the players feel? They know that they, they don't have their best players, available players there, and that there were teams in their domestic league that wouldn't release players. A domestic league, which, by the way, I have to remind our listeners, uh, I would argue is partly subsidized by the Federation through its uh, media and sponsorship deals that are that uh, through Soccer United marketing. So I think that should I be optimistic about the U.S. on the surface? Yes, the player the player pool is great, and as I said, I think we have three elite players, which we haven't had in a long time in Brooks, McKinney, and Adams. Uh, we have not had three elite players since Donovan, Dempsey, and maybe Bradley in 2010. Right? Maybe. Uh, maybe not. Maybe. Oh, well, actually, we had Chirundolo at the time, too. So it, since well, it's the first time in like 11 years we've had three elite players. The, but the, at, the difference but is the Kartik. The problems then that we do now. The, the, the difference is, is those names that you mentioned, you mean kind of Adams, McKinney, etc. Uh, you're not talking about strikers. I mean, you mentioned uh, oh, yeah, D- Dempsey and kind of the the land. Dempsey Donovan were guys who could score goals. Yes, right. And that that's one one area of my concern is that uh, we're still missing that striker. I don't see Josie Altador being that person. Um, I'm. I think Josh Josh Sargent's more of a, a creator rather than a, a goal scorer. He's more uh, of he's a not, ten, maybe traditionally, yeah. right? He plays as a nine, but he's more like a ten. Exactly. He's not a yeah. pure nine. So. The other thing about this, this though, too, is that I just wonder if this was um, ESPN broadcasting that Northern Ireland uh, friendly and the Olympics, what they, their take would have been, if it would have been different than Fox's slant. And uh, for the most part, actually, Fox's coverage wasn't too bad. After the Olympic loss, you could definitely tell that uh, Rob Stone, Alexi Lalas, and Moedou were just devastated at the loss. And it did feel like there was just like a lack of energy in the in the actual studio because they were just deflated. You know, this was just a devastating loss for the U.S. Um, so they definitely felt it. But I think at that point, if you had a Taylor Twellman, somebody that would be able to actually start pointing fingers and saying, hey, here's the problems that we have. Here's the things. This keeps on happening cycle after cycle. Here's the things that need, need to happen to improve um, soccer in this country in terms of the national team, from the grassroots all the way to the top. You have Alexi Lalas, who in his heyday was, was a good uh, antagonist, who would, would be a good uh, debater, who would be a good person to go against Michael Ballack uh, and, and get into a disagreement and, and kind of an argument about something. That was many years ago. I mean, Lalas, um, I like him as a person, but I just don't think he is at the top of his game. But if you had a 12 in, in there or someone similar to actually give honest, constructive criticism rather than just sh- sharing disappointment that Rob Stone, Moadu, and Alexia Lalas, maybe things start to change then. Maybe uh, people start thinking, maybe uh, action happens as a result of that. Do you, do you agree, Kartik? 
Yeah, I, I, I do. But I, I think uh, Taylor Twelvin's reaction was pretty, uh, pretty interesting because he, he went off the handle on Twitter, which um, I, he, it elicited more of a Twitter response. Now, there was a real response to his comments. He and Max Bredos on uh, on ESPN the night of the uh, of the uh, of the Trinidad match, the game, the match in Cueva in, in 2017. Uh, which uh, knocked the U.S. out of the 2018 World Cup. However, uh, this time on Twitter, there seemed to be more of a reaction to him than even then, uh, because he was using Twitter, right? He wasn't on air, so uh, he he, uh, uh, he he went pretty ruthlessly uh, after the federation and the results. But the uh, the concern I have is that there was there was a lot of pushback from establishment types on it. Basically, now saying a tournament. That uh, the U- the U.S. used to uh, tout. You remember, Chris, when U.S. would tout how well they always did in these youth tournaments and how well they did in the Olympics mm-hmm. compared to some other major soccer playing nations. Now the U.S. has had this uh, decade long drought from this competition, and now suddenly the competition isn't important anymore. We're hearing uh, what's really important is the under twenty World Cup, and the U.S. has consistently done well at the U twenty level. So I like Seb Salazar's comeback to that again. ESPN didn't broadcast the game, so that's. Uh, uh, that, that, that's uh, you can consider that part of it. But Seb Salazar and Herc Gomez have their new show, of Football Americas, on ESPN Plus, which is a show if you like uh, uh, American uh, the, the, the domestic game in the U.S. Uh, the national teams, or uh, same thing for Mexico. Uh, I would highly recommend you check it out. It's on ESPN Plus. Uh, Salazar got into this 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 thing that in the last five cycles, four-year cycles, the U.S. has consistently done better at the U-20 level than the U-23 level. In fact, the U.S. has made the quarterfinals of the U-20 World Cup at least once in each of the last five cycles. The World Cup, not, not, I'm not talking about in CONCACAF, they made the quarterfinals of the World Cup, and a lot of those U.S. teams were good and ended up losing to the team that ended up winning the World Cup or, or got to the final, right? I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of those U.S. teams were really, really good. Um, and then the U23 level, there's a drop-off. And this is something you and I and others we talk to in our circles, Chris, have consistently talked about privately. There is something that goes on between the age of about 19 and 22 or 23 with American players where they stagnate or regress relative. Maybe they don't regress overall, but re- regress relative to the rest of the world. So uh, Salazar brought that up. He and Gomez dis- uh, discussed it. And, it's, it. and I think that's really the money point, the takeaway point. There is something wrong in whether it's a mentality thing, uh, a, a lack of mentality, a, an issue because of the organizational structure, an issue because their player development falls off at that age, uh, that maybe our leagues aren't competitive enough. You, you can ask any number of questions, but that's the takeaway point. The U.S. consistently does better at the U-20 level than they do at the U-23 level or the senior level. And in fact, if you look at the U-20 level over the course of the last uh, 35 years now, the U.S. is one of the top countries at the U-20 level in the world, you know, up there with Argentina and Brazil and a couple of the others, probably in the top five or six uh, globally in terms of U-20 uh, success, a youth level success. And then something falls apart, goes awry right away after that age group. And that's a that's a consistent long term problem. I know people have pushed back on Salazar's point saying, well, we've changed some of the players from the last U-20 World Cup. I, I get that. But that happens all the time. Then there's also a drop off in some of those players. It's a consistent problem. And um, it's something that U.S. soccer has to fix. 
Very interesting. And, and Kartik, just one more one more question before we move on to uh, another topic is that uh, from what October or November 2017, has the U.S. Soccer Federation made any progress or learned from their mistakes of not qualifying for the World Cup? No, I, I think, in fact, OK, so I will say what the one piece of progress is, I think, Greg Berhalter uh, under. Has a, has a stylistic consideration he has in mind. He wants to impart a national style, uh, a style of play. Unfortunately, I think he's finding a lot of the players in the American player pool are not sufficient to play that way. Hence, the aggressive recruitment of Serginio Dest and Yunus Musa, who, who I'm saying, you know, the U.S. through the years have recruited a lot of dual nationals who weren't good enough to play for the other country they were eligible to play for. In these two specific cases, you're getting a guy in Dest who I think would be playing for the Dutch full, full team right now. Mm-hmm. And in Musa, a guy that is would be pretty close to playing for England in the next year. He would have been on the U21 team that's competing right now in the UEFA, uh, in the Euros, in the Euro U21s, and would be in the full senior team within a year or two. So uh, I think that's one improvement. Berhalter has identified, I, I need dual nationals to play my style. I need guys who were raised in Europe, basically, to play my style. But I would say that it, the, the organization has regressed from a, from a uh, governance perspective. Uh, you can talk, talk to the leagues and members, the, the membership organizations within U.S. soccer. There's more uh, dis, dis, uh, uh, disharmony now. Uh, I, I mean, you and I hammered Sunil Galati and Dan Flynn for years, but the reality is they were competent managers. And uh, mm-hmm. now they, it, there's a, a feeling that there's a degree of anarchy in the Federation and, and things are just not, not, going, uh, not operating the way they need to. So that's, uh, I, so no, the pro- overall progress has not been made since October 2017. Uh, there's been a little, little bit of progress on some fronts and some regression on others. All right. Well, so let's switch gears for a minute here, too. And uh, during the past couple of weeks, you and I, and probably I think many of our listeners have been watching a lot of games on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, some of us have Hulu, which is, uh, I mean, there's the Disney bundle. If you want to, you can get Disney+, Plus and ESPN+, Plus and Hulu. Or you can get you know, just one of each of the, uh, separately, or you can get Hulu. But one of the things we've noticed, uh, both you and I have noticed, and actually I think you noticed it first, Kartik, is when you do log into Hulu and you're going through looking at something to watch, whether it's Fargo or Nomadland, which is a great movie, or whatever, there's a ton of movies and shows on there. Uh, there's something interesting on the homepage, and the integration is so well done, you get ESPN+. Plus. So if you're in a, in a mood, sitting down with your family to watch something that's maybe a movie or a show, and then there's a section on the, the homepage of Hulu that says live now, or also live now, and you've got ABC News, and more, more often than not, you've got some soccer games. You've got, it could be college soccer, it could be, depending on what time of the day you're actually uh, looking at it. Kartik, I don't know about you, but I think this is a really huge development, and it's actually a little bit underrated. I think it's absolutely a huge development. I think uh, for for someone like me who doesn't watch much sports, quite frankly, unless I'm watching soccer, uh, and and uh, 15 years ago I was watching 
sport of sports at night. Now I watch entertainment, right? I watch uh, or I watch news programs, right? If I'm not watching news programs or documentaries, I'm watching Hulu. Honestly, that that's uh, I mean, maybe I'm watching Prime or, or, or um, Disney Plus, but Hulu as often as any of those other services, it's a godsend because I'm finding I'm finding soccer popping up on my feed when I'm watching movies or shows or documentaries. There are a lot of good documentaries on Hulu also. So I, to me, it's very underrated because for 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 the average fan or the average person who is not sitting on sports apps, uh, right, who's not sitting on the ESPN app trying to find uh, uh, matches, this is this is really good, and this allows soccer to break into a, a different audience. And that live now uh, is about half the time it's been soccer when I've checked it out. So soccer, I think, is being covered on there. Maybe it's just this time of year, but soccer is being covered on there more than any other sport, it, it appears, uh, via Hulu. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's that, and it's easy to find. The other thing I should mention real quick is I think – I, maybe again, it's me. I'm finding matches e- more easily on Hulu than I am on ESPN Plus, <laughs> which uh, is not the way it's supposed to be. No. But with, but I click on to the ESPN app, and then it's got ESPN stuff, and then I have to go to the ESPN Plus tab. Hulu, it's popping up right away. That live live feed, and then also like your stuff, and it'll be some movies and 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 stuff that they recommend for me. But there'll always be a soccer match in there. It's it's interesting too because uh, the way that Hulu does it is not overwhelming so there's usually only a few things listed that are live now it's not everything it's not like uh, 20 different programs and you've got ufc and you've got golf and all these other things it seems to be pretty um pretty smart about what it suggests in in that it's things that you like and there's not too many of them usually when i when i log on and i see it is maybe like two or three different uh, suggestions uh, I love it, and I think it's a great way to go ahead. And if you, of course, you have to have an ESPN Plus subscription at the same time that you have a Hulu subscription uh, in order for that integration to happen. It happens automatically. They know that you have both services, so it's suggesting ESPN Plus. Now, I don't foresee on ESPN Plus in the future you're going through checking out Dan Thomas and ESPN FC and all this great programming, you got Serie A, etc. And then all of a sudden, there's some suggestions. Uh, watch uh, Nomadland or watch uh, uh, Palm Springs or whatever on Hulu. Um, I don't see that happening, but it is a, a huge development for soccer because it makes it – it's, it's uh, discoverability. It makes it easier for um, whether it's you know, sports fans or just regular – mainstream america to to actually see it there also a reminder even for the hardcore fans like hey don't forget this is live right now and it's easy to switch to to go ahead and watch that now kartik uh we were going to talk about one one other go ahead go ahead espn ESPN fc the show uh it's very easy to watch that on hulu as well it pops right up yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't beat that. Whereas, actually, that's worse than the games on on the ESPN Plus app. You oh, I can never search. find it. I can yeah, never you find have it. To dig for it on the ESPN Plus app. It pops right up on Hulu. Uh, so I've been able to to, to watch uh, uh, my friends Dan Thomas and Seb Salazar and and, and the gang with them uh, more. Uh, more often, uh, more in a more. T- I always watch them, as I think all our listeners know. But in a more timely fashion, because it's popping right up, uh, maybe an hour after it's it's been uh, uploaded, it's popping right up on my Hulu. So it's great. Well, for me, I'm I'm going through Dan Thomas withdrawals, and and it's it's actually hard to find ESPN FC. Uh, it, again, it, it probably remembers the types of things you watch, and it has those at, at the top. 
But oftentimes I have to go into the search bar and type in ESPN FC or keep on scrolling down, 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 down to the soccer section and then click on there. And then sometimes it's older episodes. It's not the most recent one. But uh, yeah, Dan Thomas, you got to make it easier for us to uh, to find you on, on ESPN FC. Kartik, we were going to talk about NFTs, trading cards and soccer stickers. Um, maybe we'll get into more into depth into that in the future, talking about that, because that's something I'm, re- I'm really excited about. As you are, I know, some of our listeners might be going like, what the, what the hell is Chris and uh, Kartik on about here? Uh, so so Chris, but, but, let's, talk, let's talk about the Bundesliga. Your... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Let's talk about the Bundesliga. Gonna... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> let's talk about... Well, I was going to ask you if you pre-ordered your, UA, your, your UEFA no. April 2nd is being mailed. I, in, the in, United, the in the United States? In the United States. Yeah. Really? That's, break, that's breaking yeah. news. I did not know yeah, that. So, so I, I just ordered. I just ordered it. It's apparently getting mailed. Now, with the way the postal service is going, we won't get it till the tournament starts. But <laughs> it'll um, be over. <laughs> I, 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 I had a package. But at least I, I, my album is getting mailed on April second. <laughs> second from Panini. I, ha- I had a package. This is a true story. I had a package uh, sent uh, from Miami to my house. And usually, first class mail, it'll take about two days to get from Miami to my house. And there was no, n- nothing wrong with the postage. Everything was fine. It took six weeks from Miami to my house. Obviously, it must have got lost in the mail or something. So, so by the time, and what Kartik and I are talking about here is the uh, UEFA Euro 2020 Panini uh, soccer sticker album that's coming out. As of a few days ago, it came out in Europe. And I was thinking it wouldn't come out in the US. Uh, but Kartik, with the breaking news, April 2nd, uh, gonna, going to be available. Mail order may, might be the best option to go. We'll have to wait and see if it is going to be available in stores. But um, just to tease this a little bit, Kartik, too. So I know anyone who's been following Kartik in the past week and has uh, on Twitter especially has seen some of these pictures. You've got pictures of like Josh, uh, Josh Sargent and some other players. What is this the whole thing all, all about? Yeah, so I ordered. Uh, I, I got a, a friend that sent uh, tops uh, a tops sticker album from Germany for me, and then uh, with some stickers. And then I ordered a bunch of stickers uh, off of eBay, a box of stickers uh, to, uh, to 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 add to the to the fifty something stickers he sent to me. And now I'm about thirty six stickers short, right? So I'm just going to go on the trading exchanges and and, and finish my uh, my book out. But I've got. Uh, uh, all the American players. Now, the big mistake I may have made, Chris, now I have to finish my album because I, I decided to stick not even thinking the Holland sticker. And uh, then found out the next day that there were there was these massive like run on Holland cards and stickers. Tops makes the cards also for the Bundesliga, and that the Holland rookie card is going for thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars, and his so-called rookie sticker is going for seven hundred fifty dollars. This would be his second season, um, but it would still be worth something. So I've stuck the sticker now. So I feel like I have no choice but to complete the album. I've also gotten the 2020 and 2021 Panini Premier League albums, but I, I started sticking the Panini 2020, and I'm, uh, I, I've got a long, long way to yeah. go. I don't know that I'll finish well, it, but it's good, good to have the album. Well, it's interesting, too, because uh, the sticker albums, it's like about six, over 600 stickers in the, in the album. It's huge. 
I mean, I mean, the design of it is great, and 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 these things are not available in the United States. So both both Kartik and I are kind of on the underground, ordering off eBay and all all these different places to try to get them because they're not available commercially in the U.S. But um, they're massive collections, and it's it's stickers of your your favorite teams in the Premier League and the players and the club uh, crests and different action photos, uh, kits, etc. And you get the stickers and and um, peel them off and put them in an album. Uh, as opposed to trading cards in the U.S., which is more popular, of course. Uh, but even with trading cards, I just ordered uh, Panini uh, has uh, a series of Premier League uh, trading cards called Prism for the uh, 20, 2021 season. And these include, some of them include uh, autographs, like uh, like legitimate autographs of some of the players. And some of these, mm-hmm. some of these cards are worth hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. So it's, it, it's, it's a roll of the dice. It's, it's almost like gambling in a way, hoping that you get one of these autographed players. Yeah, so Chris, I'm a little the Panini uh, Premier League sticker albums that I've gotten the 2020 and 2021. They're amazing. They're packed with stats. It's almost like having a media guide or something. So yeah. you don't even need to stick the stickers, right? That you got all this other information, which is which is amazing. But the downside of it is it's 600 plus stickers. Now, when Merlins made Tops uh, bought Merlins, right? But uh, Tops and Merlins made the the Premier League. Like sticker albums. I remember some that were like 280 stickers, 320 stickers. Mm-hmm. So no way. I mean, if I had known it was 630 uh, or more both years, I wouldn't have even ordered the books. I wouldn't have even started. <laughs> I assumed it was like the old Merlin stuff to the point where now I'm thinking maybe I'll go back on on eBay and on the exchange and because I used to do this 10 10. 15 years ago, do these sticker albums uh, and, and, and try and fill in some of the years like 2018, 2017, 2016 in the Premier League mm-hmm. where Tops was still doing it. And I think that it's probably easier if you can find stickers uh, and exchange stickers to, to complete those sets than these last two years. I mean, that's just a ridiculous number of stickers that Panini's making. Yeah, yeah. And maybe in a future episode, we'll talk about NFTs also, which are, which are now available for soccer. And uh, I could go on for hours about this. Maybe we'll do a separate podcast or, or maybe a, a video uh, kind of uh, discussion in the future about this. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, first up is RJ Hawkins. RJ says, turning back the clock a few weeks to the episode where you ranked the networks currently showing soccer, I think it's important to discuss the amount of over-the-air coverage that networks have committed to. In a country where soccer is forever nascent, I think the over-the-air content is very valuable to the overall sport, particularly during during a World Cup year. Uh, for as much as I didn't enjoy some of Fox's discussions, uh, some Fox's decisions and coverage for two, 2018 World Cup, they did broadcast a lot of matches over the air when compared to the ESPN coverage of recent tournaments. ESPN had 10 of 64 games televised on ABC in both uh, 2010 and 2014. In comparison, Fox aired 38 matches over the air in 2018, including 13 of 16 in the knockout round. In short, accessibility to the sport means a lot to me, and I hope Fox chooses to go this route in 2022 for, for Qatar. I guess the challenge with the Socratic is, and I'm not, again, I'm not a, an expert on other sports, but with the World Cup in 2022, beginning in November and ending, I think it's in late December, or, or, or maybe it's before Christmas, 
if there's other sports happening at the same time, I would imagine NFL is happening at the same time. I would imagine, uh, I guess a lot of it depends on the kickoff times of these games. But I would imagine that uh, Fox is not going to be able to air as many games over the air because of other um, other things that, they, that they've committed to in terms of NFL, etc. Um, so I, I don't see this happening in 2022. Now, 2026 is a whole different story. But 2022, maybe it'll be mostly um, FS1 and Fox when we can. Um, there's been rumors about FS2 perhaps um, going the same way as NBCSN and, and uh, going away. So maybe it will be Fox for some games and FS1, FS, FS1 for others. Next up is uh, PSG Talk. If Messi goes to uh, PSG, do you think Ligue 1 will remain on BN Sports or do you think a bigger player will try to make uh, will try and make a deal? A team with Messi, uh, uh, Mbappe and Neymar surely would be desirable to ESPN Plus, CBS, etc., right? Can't get we haven't really, really talked about this one. I mean, I mean I know that Ligue 1 as a league doesn't get much uh viewing viewing numbers i mean the numbers are low uh even with psg having uh Kylian mbappe and neymar those numbers still aren't that good again being sports has a distribution issue but if la liga may possibly go to being sports in the future why not league um yeah i mean that's uh uh, uh that, that that that's that's a great point. I mean, if Messi leaves, yeah, I I don't think though that there is the quite the base or the reputation of that league. And Real Madrid is such a big name, right? Even even beyond Barcelona losing Messi, uh, I think it would be very very difficult for uh, to justify spending on Liga instead of uh, instead instead of on. Uh, La Liga. However, you know, if you don't secure La Liga and BN is, is collapsing I, or BN needs to uh, offload the property, I think that, that it would be attractive. However, I think the relationship between P, BN and PSG, for obvious reasons, uh, makes it less likely that this is something BN w- 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 would give up easily. And in fact, uh, BN is, is the chief promoter of. Uh, of uh, that Liga and French football throughout much of the world, mm-hmm. uh, which it is for uh, La Liga at this point too. But uh, we have to keep that in mind as well. Yeah, I, I see PSG as a play in the Champions League. I see it as a big draw in the Champions League. I see it being, you mean, uh, yes, Messi, Kylian Mbappe, and Neymar uh, being a really sexy team to watch in the Champions League. And, and I don't see that sexy appeal uh, playing against. Um, Ren or 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 some other teams that uh, I mean, and again, the other thing with with the French league is that these games happen oftentimes at the same time as the Spanish league, or at the same time as the German league, or at the same time as so on and so forth. So you can only watch so many leagues. You can you can only watch so many teams. And unfortunately, Liga keeps again pushed down and down and down. Even though arguably they could have uh, three of the best players in the world, um, they should be on big TV, at least PSG games. PSG can't even find their way onto uh, being sports on television. Most of the games are on being sports yeah. connect. So right. yeah, yeah, ESPN Plus w- would love to have the PSG games on there. The rest of the league, maybe, yeah, that'd be nice. Paramount Plus would love it, too. I mean, it would be a good lead-in to the Champions League coverage that they, they have. 
Nick says, uh, do you have any insight into why so many of the European soccer leagues seem to insist on just three-year contracts with media companies? It's barely enough time for the networks to staff up, lean in and build an audience and habits in many cases. This is most evident with Serie A, which seemed to be, uh, which seemed to take the money increase over the reach and platform of Disney and ESPN Plus, which is now on Hulu too, but also was the case with the Champions League. And this was the biggest criticism that uh, Turner Sports had about the Champions League because uh, they, they, I mean, they, they acquired the deal from Fox a few years ago, a big deal, uh, paid a lot of money, did the first season, were still learning as they went along, made some big mistakes, started to get a little bit better, finally figured out how to even get a good crew of talent. Second season, they're excited. They're going in. Now they make some more changes. Uh, they go down to one studio instead of having two studios. It's getting a little bit better. And then all of a sudden, mid-Champions League second season, they find out that they've lost the rights. So, which effectively makes them a lame duck for the second half of the Champions League um, uh, year two on their deal. And then the third year, they didn't even finish. You know I mean? So it's one of those things that, yeah, definitely. So why is it that way? Nick, it's a good question. Uh, I think part of it is traditional. It's always been that way. Um, but having said that, though, too, there's a lot to say about Major League Soccer and them signing what was a six-year or a seven-year deal, whatever, or eight-year deal, whatever it was. There's a long, deal. a long deal. How many years? Eight. Eight. Eight years. That's too much because now MLS. If it was a six-year deal or a three-year deal, I think MLS would have been in a position to take advantage of of these so- soccer streaming wars that are happening right now. Um, with Paramount Plus needing soccer rights with uh, Peacock fighting, trying to get some soccer rights too, as well as Disney Plus uh, and ESPN Plus. Now, next year, that may not be the same story. By that point, maybe a lot of these streaming services would have spent uh, most of their money on the rights, and then MLS uh, rights come up for bid. And lo and behold, there's not as much competition because, uh, you mean, um, Paramount Plus went big on in on Serie A, NBC perhaps uh, do a, a renewal deal on the Premier League for big money. And perhaps La Liga goes to, to ESPN+. Plus. There's not much left. All right, next up, uh, Chris Guardino says, uh, when it comes to Serie A being on Paramount+, Plus and CBS, the amount of games on TV really depends, in my view, on if CBS can get the rights to other college football conferences to replace the SEC, which they are losing after the 2023 season which is uh, right in the middle of year three of the deal that they have with the Serie A. I have been reading that the Pac-12 is CBS's prime target when it comes to college football because their current TV contract expires in 2023, as well, although there is a buyout sub-licensing clause that can be used beginning this upcoming season, and the Pac-12 is quite unhappy with the amount of coverage they are getting by Fox when compared to the Big Ten or Twelve. If CBS gets the Pac-12 through this method before 2023, expect the number of Serie A games on over-the-air CBS to be relatively few or not at all, especially on Saturdays and the majority of TV matches get moved to CBS Sports Network. If CBS does not get the Pac-12, then I could see them airing a game of the week from Serie A on Saturday mornings to fill the gap. Lastly, I have a question for Chris and Kartik about NBC. My question is, 
Do you see NBC being involved in the bidding for the next MLS TV contract, given their brief history with the league from 2012 to 2014? What do you think, Kartik? I uh, am not sure. I mean, maybe... uh Maybe they have a different perspective than they did than they uh, uh, did in 2014 when they pulled out of the bidding and, and made a very public uh, show of pulling out of the bidding. And we, at that point, we knew it was a fait accompli that there'd be some Fox would be back in, and there'd be some combination of Fox and ESPN, and then Univision on the uh, Spanish side. They pulled out of the bidding for Spanish side too for Telemundo potentially. So I think that that's um, that's very uh, to, to me. Uh, an indication that they they may not be. It depends on the price point. Uh, obviously, the, without NBCSN, uh, they don't have a network uh, ability to show games regularly. They do have NBC over the air, which they they could and they did air uh, uh, MLS games on on NBC television network in 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 2012 and 2013 i can't remember if they did in 2014 i think by 2014 they were pretty far along in the in the premier league uh, in year two of the premier league and and were just winding down their mls deal but uh that that's possible but i i don't uh I, i'm not quite sure about that on the first point uh with the pac-12 yeah i agree i think that's 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 cbs's target I would say, however, that there is a lar- there is now diminishing returns on college basketball, regular season college basketball. And I mentioned this in the article I wrote at WorldSoccerTalk.com this week, that college basketball regular season ratings have been going down consistently for a number of years. In fact, the Premier League on NBC has beaten a number of uh, college basketball games on CBS head-to-head. Uh, non-tournament games. I'm not talking about in March. I'm not talking about conference tournament games or uh, NCAA tournament games. I'm talking about regular season ACC games or regular season Big Twelve game, uh, Big Ten games, and regular season uh, Big Twelve matches. Uh, some of the, the Big Twelve, uh, some of those games have been on Fox. So anyway, or Big Ten, some of the games have been on Fox. They, they I think that that is a possibility, Chris, that you could see Serie A shoehorned if there's a Juventus versus uh, 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 Juventus versus Inter match, a Derby de Italia, that could be shoehorned in to a Saturday afternoon uh, on CBS television network. Interestingly, in the, in the press release from CBS, they specifically mentioned CBS Sports Network but did not mention CBS um, over the air. This is the opposite of the press release you and I got from CBS a year ago talking about the um, Champions League when they first acquired the rights. And that was not when they acquired the, 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 the remainder of Turner's rights, but the remainder of uh, that when they acquired the three-year deal, right, that, that hasn't started yet, actually, technically. They, they mentioned CBS Television Network, but did not mention CBS Sports Network. So I think they might be viewing Serie A as a cable property to build the cable, cable channel, in similar way than NBC viewed the Premier League if with NBCSN when they were serious after the Comcast merger and they, they acquired Versus or Versus was merged into NBC Sports uh, to, to build that channel. So uh, the answer is, at least based on the press release, and Chris, you got the same press release I did, mm-hmm. uh, they're viewing this very much as a CBS Sports Network property as well as Paramount+. Plus. But there was an emphasis on the cable channel and no mention of the over-the-air uh, broadcast network. 
Yeah, I asked them about this um, a few days ago in, in an interview. I'm, I'm working on a story about uh, Paramount Plus, actually, actually several stories. And um, the answer I got was that uh, CBS over the air is, is always a possibility. It, it wasn't a flat no. It wasn't a, a emphatic yes. It was there's always a possible chance. But what they did say was that Paramount Plus, this is soccer is a... Um, is, is Paramount Plus first. It's all about Paramount Plus. And, and going back a year ago when uh, CBS announced about the Champions League, this was before Paramount Plus. And I think Paramount Plus now now in these streaming wars has become such a pivotal player and such a uh, important strategy for CBS that, yes, there, there, there may be some games on over-the-air CBS for the Champions League. Uh, now, next season, when the calendar opens up a little bit, perhaps... But uh, this is all about Paramount Plus in, in getting as many subscribers as possible. This is this is the future of soccer in the United States for the large majority of soccer fans who are into soccer. Now, I mean, they're they're declaring war essentially on ESPN Plus. Next up, JP says, "I don't think moving to CBS is going to increase the profile of Serie A all that much from where it is now with the ESPN. Quite frankly, since we don't get." viewership numbers from ESPN Plus. It's debatable if moving to ESPN Plus improved the, the profile all that much from where it was on BN Sports. And then just as an aside, so even though the numbers aren't publicly available, we have had some insight into those numbers. And those numbers are much, much greater on ESPN Plus than what they were on BN Sports. The numbers have been very, very positive. But um, just like Netflix, in, in the early days of Netflix, they didn't release the numbers. ESPN Plus is not releasing those numbers either. So I'll continue with JP. Uh, all of us here are in a sort of a soccer bubble. So we probably overstate the reach that ESPN Plus and other streaming providers give these leagues. The casual fans aren't rushing out to subscribe for soccer if they subscribe at all. The Premier League increased their profile with the casual fans because NBC heavily promoted and made most matches easily accessible at consistent time slots and channels. Unless CBS shows Serie A on over-the-air CBS once a week and two to three matches on CBS SN, uh, it's going to be just like ESPN Plus under a different name. Hardcore supporters will follow, the casuals won't notice. In regards to the mailbag comment about MLS support being regional, much like the NHL, spot on. However, I don't think that's a terrible situation. Outside of football, NFL and college, maybe only the NBA also has a national following for out-of-market games. Even then, it's only a few select teams like whomever LeBron happens to be playing for that season and the the other super team or two of the day. The vast majority of NBA teams don't move the needle outside their home market. So Major League Soccer's business model of getting strong local support, preferably in the stadium, is wise. Everyone can't be the NFL, and it can be argued much of the interest in NFL is driven by gambling and fantasy. Never gambled much besides a few season-long pools back in the day. But once I stopped that, and, and eventually fantasy as well, my interest in watching games not involving the local team plummeted to le- levels comparable to other sports, which means don't follow nationally until the playoffs and only if a matchup is interesting. Mikey says, La Liga is my favorite league to follow. And for me, the best part about having access to being sports is also having access to La Liga TV. Often, La Liga TV will carry the same match as the BN Sports parent channel, 
But I find their commentators and studio show to be uh, much more informative than what BN Sports offers. If ESPN acquires the rights to La Liga, what do you think happens to our access to La Liga TV? That's a good question, Kartik. That's a really good question, actually. And I don't have an answer. That's we can speculate on it. I think I think it goes away. I mean, I think yeah. I mean when you think about uh, the coverage that uh, ESPN Plus has. It's all about the games and you mean the talking heads and the documentaries. There isn't like a um, I mean a dedicated channel on there that's just uh, you mean other content, so to speak, uh, such as a you mean a kind of a league run uh, channel. But you, what you might do though is get actually a lot of the world feeds, the commentators uh, from La Liga TV doing the games. So if it's I don't know Valencia against uh, Real Sociedad. And instead of getting, like in the past, we would have gotten Phil Shane and, and Ray Hudson, maybe, or, or Dre Cazero and and uh, Eric Krakauer, we would probably would get La Liga TV, well, the, the World Feed commentators, uh, English language, um, which could be the same uh, production as La Liga TV. Leo says, I'm a big fan of South American football. I usually watch games in Spanish, but in recent weeks, I have had to watch games in English to share a wonderful game with my friends. I was surprised uh, by what I heard on Goal TV. It looks like they only have one commentator and he works all the games. I myself worked on a small football channel and I know how difficult it is. My question is not so much about Goal TV, but about the styles of sports commentary. Should the commentator cross the border and become your friend? Just like when you're watching a game in a bar where you're allowed not to be too... um, uh, diplomatic, and even make some risky jokes. When discussing a match with friends, it's okay to jump in, jump from topic to, to topic and tell stories, provoking some people from social networks who seem uh, to be laughing at you. You have to have some trust between you and your friends, uh, and you can always leave if the discussion does not meet your standards. But is that okay for a professional commentator? Does this friendly style involve more... Uh, I get get you more involved in the game. Does it add a new color to the picture of the game? Where is the line between a unique style and just plain bad performance? Do you guys like this style? So we'll stop there. Do you like it, Kartik? I blow hot and cold on it, if I'm perfectly honest with you, right? I mean, I, you know, I, I guess I... Uh, there are different styles of, of, of commentary and presentation that I like. Um, and then there are others that like I go back and forth, honestly. So um, I, 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 I think uh, uh, the um, different styles work for different people. And I've just become very adaptable to all these different styles, whether it is like the way the Peruvian League is presented in English. And there's been – look, if you watch uh, – Tudiene, you can see there's been a definite change in the way they present Liga Emekis in English compared to the way they used to, right? Uh, with their English commentary, the commentators are, are, are different and are, are, are exuding a different kind of uh, uh, more joking style. or Maybe, I, I don't know if you want to call it less professional style now than they were a, a year. I think they've made changes after the pandemic, when the pandemic started. Uh, we should actually talk to 2DNA about that or contact them and, and find out. But I just kind of flow with it now. I, I mean, I got maybe five, ten years ago, I was so into the dogma that style has to be like this, the style has to be like that. I've become much more um, flexible with all of this. 
Yeah, for me, I, I don't like that style. Um, I know the commentator that Leo's mentioning, and uh, he often does games by himself, and it's broken English, which is okay, but just it's just not a good commentary, and uh, it's a very heavy accent. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just not really pleasing to the ear. And I prefer more of a professional commentator who is going to give me insights into what's happening on the field and some of the players and uh, the action, really, more so more so than the stats or the, the jokes or the um, speculation in the transfer market. Um, each different commentator has, has his or her own different style, uh, but I prefer them to be more, se- not serious, but more professional rather than, than kind of jokey. But uh, but that doesn't mean that everyone has to have that same style. Some people might like kind of a more informal, casual style. Uh, to me, if anything, if it would be more of a kind of a, a YouTube commentary. Maybe you have the game on television, but then there's a way to actually listen to uh, kind of mute the TV audio and then just play the YouTube uh, commentary and have somebody talking about the game as it's all synced up. And maybe that's there's, that's an option uh, for those who like that type of style. That That's just me personally. Last but not least, Soccer Thoughts says, are there any executives at Fox that are glad the U.S. men aren't in the Olympics? Fox will now have a full-strength U.S. men's national team at the Gold Cup instead of splitting some of the high-profile friendlies and uh, ratings with NBC Sports. Kartik, I think you're getting ready to jump no. in there. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, no, I, again, it's the Gold <laughs> Cup. It's a CONCACAF competition. It's on U.S. soil. The U.S. always wins it or they finish second, right? And, and, and Look, I mean, the U.S., I'll even give you the example. Okay, I guess maybe it was decent for Fox's ratings. It wasn't great in 2017. The U.S. chose to play their A team with World Cup qualifying going on. Uh, every other country in the hex. Uh, played played with a B team. I mean, the Mexican the team Mexico sent to the Gold Cup in 2017 was pretty really substandard actually. So great triumph! The U.S. wins it. The confetti's falling. Uh, Fox is making a big deal about it. The U.S. got four points from their next four qualifiers and did not make the World Cup. So I, I can't be bothered. I mean, I think I'm like a lot of people not bothered with the Gold Cup when it's going on during uh, during World Cup qualifying. Uh, this is a little different because it's going on right before World Cup qualifying, whereas in 2017 it was right in the middle and Arena inexplicably called an A-team in uh, while everybody else was experimenting and um, – you know what? What in fact we found from that uh, Gold Cup? This is where the fault was. Uh, I would say is that there was a depth problem in the U.S. pool, and had he taken that Gold Cup to call in Matt Miazga or call in uh, a, a young Weston McKinney or any number of other players that weren't uh, in the in in kind of the, the rotation for the player pool at the time, those guys might have been ready and helped us out in Cueva in, in mm-hmm. October, two months later, but. You know, it was a missed opportunity. So, no, I, I'm not I, – I don't think that this is good to miss uh, – maybe Fox is happy about it. Well, that's actually the question. Yeah, that's the question. Yeah. But uh, but uh, I don't think it's I, – I mean, I, who cares if you have a full-strength full, full strength squad for the Gold Cup? I miss the Olympics. <laughs> Fox would definitely not agree with you there, Kartik. But but I, I would actually say to Soccer Thoughts that the, the, probably, the answer is probably yes. There probably are a few executives at Fox. Um, I can imagine in that building – where 
the vast majority of the executives at Fox have no clue about soccer, haven't done so for years, still don't now. I'm sure there's a few executives that get it. But I can see them probably going up to, I don't know, Rob Stone or Alexi Lanas after after the Honduras game and say, yeah, that was a shame. But hey, that hey, that's good news, though, right? We've got the, the U.S. in the Gold Cup. They're going to have a full-strength full squad. We're going to have Pulisic. This is going to be awesome, right? And I mean, Lalas or Rob Stone would shake their heads and just kind of just mutter something and walk away. I, I could easily see that happening. Um, and it's not just Fox. I mean, in my experience dealing with a lot of these media giants, so whether it's Turner Sports or whether it's Fox uh, or other broadcasters, um, most of the executives don't know soccer. They haven't grown up with soccer um, usually they bring people in and say, hey, like, you know a little bit about soccer. Come help help us with this. Come, help, help us figure out how are we supposed to kind of cover this game? Should we do it from the studio in L.A. or should we do some uh, do the world feed? I mean, what, what do people want? What do they expect? What do they like? And um, the vast majority of ex- executives within these sports organizations have no clue. Um, so uh, soccer thoughts, yeah, there's probably some Fox execs that are happy. They're like, hey, this is going to be great. Ratings are going to be through the roof. We will be the place, the home of the U.S. men's national team uh, in the Gold Cup. And there won't be um, a lot of distractions going on with the Olympics because the audience is going to be watching one tournament rather than than two. And we know that a lot of U.S. soccer fans, if the U.S. is not involved in a competition, especially if they're more more of a casual fan, they won't watch that tournament. They'll just say, okay, well, I'll forget it. I'm, I'm not going to watch the 2018 World Cup. I'll, the U.S. is not in it. Let me move on. I'm going to watch something else. All right, listeners, we want you to have your say. So you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, um... What else? I think that's about it for this show. It's been actually a little bit longer than I anticipated. I thought this would be a short show with not a lot of news going on from the world of uh, TV streaming this week. We do expect some big news next week. Uh, That's kind of a teaser for uh, worldsoccertalk.com. We should have the interviews with Paramount Plus, the executives there, giving more insight into their strategy, as well as some other news. I'm I'm not going to... uh, say anything more than that but but uh keep your uh ears perked and your eyes open next week there Uh, and of course um this weekend club soccer returning uh to our tv sets and streaming devices And, and no matter where they are in the world and what they're doing what should they do this weekend kartik enjoy your football When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.